So this morning, sorry, we're in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Luke chapter 3, just going through Luke, going all the way through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 15 to 20. And the title is Humility and Courage. Humility and Courage. And uh, the last few weeks we've seen as John the Baptist, the baptizer, came on the scene, we've seen his ministry, we've seen the prophecy, we've seen the message, and now we're going to see the Messiah and really the courage. Um, and I love when things are, are planned, and I, I get to look forward to those plans. Don't you? Like we, it's with expectation. You ever have a vacation planned, and you're just so happy because you're looking forward to the time to spend away. And then work gets busier and um, busier than it's ever been right up to that point. I don't know. That's how it always happens to me. And by the time you're about to go on vacation, you are done. You're spent. You're exhausted. You're ready to go. But you're expecting to go and relax and not think about work, not think about tasks at home that you have to do. You know, um, and staycations, I understand the concept. Stay, staycations are very tough for me. I get, I get that sometimes there's no money to do anything else you know, or pay for crazy amount uh, for a hotel. But don't get me wrong, when my family's at home, we can relax and put on our PJs, watch MasterChef Junior together, you know, like all of us do, right? Um, but no, we, we love it. But when it comes to vacationing, I do better with time away, not thinking about all the tasks I have half-finished and have to get to. That's not relaxing for me. I need to get away from it all to be able to fully relax. So vacations that are planned for the future cause excitement because we all look forward to it. There are expectations involved with certain future events. And what we're going to see today is that as John the baptizer was preaching and baptizing people in the water in the Jordan, the crowd was pumped up. Like they were excited. They were expecting great things. They were stoked on what John was saying. They wanted to get close to the Lord. They wanted to see the Messiah. So the crowd looked at John, though, here's the problem, as if he was the one to come to save them, to save them all. And John's like, dude, Dudes and dudettes. I don't, know if, I don't think that term is even used these days anymore. But um, he's like, I'm not the Messiah. I am just fulfilling my calling on this earth by preparing the way for Jesus to come on the scene. Right? So don't look to me as if, you know, I'm someone who can change your life and save your soul. So John will now introduce the Messiah to the crowd, and he does so with such humility. So let's, let's pray again, and then we'll get into the word this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's contained in it. We thank you, Lord, that it is old, but it is not outdated. It is relevant, Lord, because it's true, and we can walk these things out, and we can learn from them. And we thank you. We're, we're all in different life situations, Lord. We thank you that you're faithful to meet each one of us exactly where we're at, Lord. We just pray that you meet us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing is the Messiah, verse 15 to 18, chapter 3, says, Now as the people were in expectation... And they all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one, capital O, mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire." Verse 18, and with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So really, John is pointing forward to a greater one and a greater baptism. Like the people were in expectation for the things of God, and I think that's appropriate. 
Like if you're, if you're a manager or a business owner, of course, you expect your employers and supervisors to show up on time to do the jobs well and to be about what the business is about. Right? Like, but when it comes to personal relationships and marriage, of course, we don't want to have like unrealistic expectations because those will lead to what? Letdowns and disappointments. You may be able to change someone's mind, but you cannot change someone's heart. You ever notice that? You ever come to that epiphany or that realization in your life? You're like, I can't, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do. I said it all. Like, their heart is not changed. Like, we cannot change anyone's heart. You don't have the power, neither do I. You are the truth relayer. God is the heart changer. That's how it works, right? And I cannot force anyone to change. Only the Lord can do that. I know some of you parents are like, I wish I could just force my kids to believe in God and follow in the right direction, you know? But that's, the, that's God's job. We pray, and he does the heart changing. But if you think you can change anyone's heart, then that could be pride creeping in. But when it comes to the things of God, it, it is okay, and I'd say it's even good, a good thing to expect him to do great things. When we trust in God, we are leaning all our weight on him, believing we won't fall. You know, God's got us. He's holding us up. You know, our daughters are getting taller. They're growing up, and I hate it. I hate that they're growing up because one thing I don't like about it is because they're getting heavier, right? They're getting taller. And so now when I pick them up, I'm after a minute or two, I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> like, I got to put them down, right? I, but, I mean, we used to go to Disneyland in California all the time, and I would carry our girls like through the park for an hour as they were sleeping. And it was so precious just holding them tight, you know, no big deal. I miss when they were little and we could carry them for so long. See, as we grow and mature spiritually, what we realize is that God has us no matter what. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's holding us up and we can trust him. So, so the opposite of expecting God to work and move is to Expect God to not work and not move, right? And not do anything of spiritual significance. But that's not our God. That mindset is not even biblical, and I don't think it's spiritually healthy. Expecting God to show up in your circumstances is called faith, right? Right in the middle of where you are. It's great to put expectations on God to come through because the fact is he always does. He has a perfect track record. When we moved from Southern California to Lower Alabama, we expected God to provide for us. I didn't have any job lined up. There wasn't some big overarching church organization that was giving me like a bunch of money for, for the first five years. You know, they didn't send me with a bunch of people. It was me and my wife and my daughters. Like, that's it. <laughs> Just us moving thousands of miles away. It, I mean, it wasn't easy. I was, and I was kind of stressed out. I was like, okay, Lord, what are you going to do? Like, I thought, you know, it's been a week or two. Like, let's go. Like, I didn't work. This is the longest time I haven't worked since I was 16 years old. And it was like a few months, and it was like kind of driving me crazy, but God was teaching us to trust him through that difficult time. And that he has us, and we don't need to worry. And God, of course, came through, got me a job, only after I stopped striving to try to make it happen, right? And, and don't get me wrong, like initiative is necessary in life. But as we walk, we lean on God to show us the way, and we lean on God to give us the wisdom and the strength. Because the fact is, you can't do anything of significance without the Lord. I mean, I, I was talking to this, this one guy who's not a Christian at work, and I, I said, I can't do anything of value without Jesus, you know? And he said, well, that's not true. I do, you know, I do everything without Jesus. I don't need him, you know? And so we had this discussion, and I was attempting to get him to see who I was living for and why. And I was talking about, like, kingdom furthering and fulfilling God's will and all that. 
And of course, he kind of balked at me and gave up talking, but my whole life, like literally revolves around following the Lord, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm never going to be ashamed of it. And, you know, if I am, God should be ashamed of me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be bold and courageous. Because you can do significant things in the world's eyes, but without God, it's wood, hay, and stubble, like the Bible says. In the end, it's going to be burned up. So the people were in expectation, and John, after preaching, got them to this point as he was simply just doing what God had prepared him to do. Whatever God is preparing you to do, like right now, know that it's not in vain. It's it's not for nothing. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but it, it's not for nothing. Sometimes we wonder, Lord, what are you doing at this point in my life? Why am I facing these things? Why do I have to deal with all this? Maybe no one's ever, has anyone ever gotten there? Like, we've all gotten there at certain points, right? Much of our, uh, much of our walk with the Lord is not knowing the next three steps, but just taking that next one step when God gives us the green light. I love Alabama. I have to preface this with this. I love Alabama. I love Mobile. I love this place, you know. But I don't know. You, but you understand when I say there, there are some stoplights that take about five minutes. Like, dude, I mean, there's still wires above the ground. What's, you know? Like, it's like I'm in the 50s. It's crazy. But, uh, but I have to leave early. I have to leave 10 minutes early sometimes from my house. I'm like, I'm going that way. There's two stoplights there. That's an extra 10 minutes. It's crazy. Um, and I would, I would be lying if I didn't say a couple times I may have ran the red light. I'm sorry. I'm just, I, okay, a confession session. I'm just saying, it takes forever. But, but really, there, there will be waiting involved when it comes to God's promises. You know, there will be, and that's often the Christian life. There will be waiting involved, and that's actually a good thing. We, at first, despise it because we're like, come on, let's go. But I believe God does some of his best heart work during waiting periods. Right during that interim period, during the time between the door closed and the other door opening in the hallway. God does a lot of his best work in the hallway. So expect God to move. Expect him to do great things. And I love the heart of John the baptizer because John could have just vainly used this opportunity to glorify himself. He could have made sure that the spotlight was on him. Right? I need more light on my face. Like, you know, like look to me, kind of like our culture today. It's like he could have been like, you know, in society today, who's trying to People are trying to perfect the selfie, you know, the correct, that is the perfect angle. I know, let me do it, right? Like, look at me, everyone, follow me, focus on me. But as we know, this has sadly happened to a lot of leaders, actually, spiritual leaders. It's still happening today. People want to take the credit for how God has worked, right? God does something great in someone's life, and, you know, and that someone acts like they're the source of the greatness. Oh, you know, I just work hard. They start off focusing on the word of God and Jesus, and then they slowly let the influence they acquire go to their heads. I'm all for leaving a legacy, but a legacy for the Lord, not for self. Right? That's, that's just, well, I just think that's gross. But anyway, but like, I'd rather have people forget me and remember the truth to forget my name and remember the name of Jesus, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, but fallen leaders go from selfless to selfish. They go from humble to haughty. They go from vertical glory to horizontal glory. No longer are they looking up, giving credit to him. They're just like, yeah, just look to me. Yet John didn't do any of these things. As John was preaching, it says, all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. I mean, this is pretty amazing. John basically made such an impression on the people with his impactful words 
that they wondered if he was a Messiah. Like, man, this guy came on the scene. He rebuked the religious leaders, calling them snakes, remember? Brood of vipers. And then he told all the groups what they must do to repent. Remember, so naturally they're like, this is the guy. <laughs> this is the Messiah. This guy's awesome. God sent this guy for sure. He's the one. Now, John was the one who got sent, clearly fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy in the New Testament, no doubt about, no doubt about that. But Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the New Testament, and this is, this is one of them. The people had the wrong idea about who John was. See, instead of gaining his own following, John gave all the glory and directed all the eyes and the hearts to Jesus. In his words, John pointed, I love what it says, he says, one mightier than I. When they thought John might be the Christ, look how he answered. There's one mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose. So listen to the implications about this statement, really. Like if we look at it culturally. Rabbis back in this day, they could basically require anything of their followers, and the followers would do it. Loyalty was a big thing back then. It was important. I wish it was a big thing today, but you know, loyalty was a big thing back then. Back then, and but one thing rabbis never required of their followers, one thing they never required them because it was too nasty, bad, low, was that they'd have to take off their sandals. You know, they wouldn't require it. This was like a cringe worthy, humiliating demand. Like people didn't wear work boots back in this day, no roads were paved, there was no street sweepers, there was rocks and there was dirt and branches. Like, so feet got nasty. You know, so John goes right down to the dirtiest action in the ancient world, and he says, I'm not even worthy to take off Jesus' sandals, guys. Like, I'm not even worthy for that. I'm even lower than that compared to the Messiah. That's how worthy the Messiah is. The Lord didn't choose John to fulfill his will because he had a seminary degree and he was extremely intelligent. He chose John because he was faithful and humble. Like, I like what Spurgeon said. He said, It is often unsafe for the Lord to trust us in anything but the very lowest positions. John was humble, but he wasn't a pushover either. It's a balance. You know, a lot of the time people think, Oh, they're a Christian, so they're a pushover, so I can definitely rip them off and they'll forgive me. Right? So sometimes people, that's people's idea, but it's a balance. John was humble, but he wasn't a pushover. He had discipline and he clearly rebuked, but he was also lowly. John goes on, he describes what the Messiah would do. He says, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. So the Holy Spirit's baptism was promised as part of the new covenant, and we are promised an overflowing or a full immersion of the Holy Spirit in our lives under the new covenant. But the helper would come when Jesus left, when he ascended. And the Holy Spirit would give power to live a divine life of purpose. If you ever struggle with a subject and you had a, to get a tutor, you were probably helped immensely, right? Like tutors are there to teach you and give you extra attention in helping you get through the class so you can move on. Tutors are there to guide you and make things clear. Well, the Holy Spirit is there to help, to guide, to teach, to direct, to give you wisdom and strength and to make things clear. And, I, and here's what it says that we might in our day and age not understand this, but it says his winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. It's like, say what? What does that mean? Well, well, the wheat and the chaff were separated because the wheat was the gathered and kept and the chaff was discarded. The wheat was useful and the chaff was trash, basically. So the Messiah would also bring a baptism of fire, which means that he would be the judge and the one to make the truth clear. See, a baptism of fire would both purify 
and destroy worthless chaff. See, God's power, it's a transforming power, right? And it's like, do we believe that today? The Lord is the only one who can change a heart and transform a mind. Sometimes the best you could do for someone is just to seek God on their behalf, to intercede on their behalf, because God does the heart changing. We plant, we water, he he always gives uh, the increase. The results are up to him. So you can't force heart change. You can't force heart change. It's a good reminder. You just can't. Someone you can maybe try, and you're like, wow, they changed. And later you realize, no, they didn't. They're just faking it. (laughs) They're just a good actor, right? You can't force it. You can't fabricate godliness. You can't strive to be more spiritual. And again, I always say this, like I've done a lot of premarital counseling and I've, not, I've performed a lot of wedding ceremonies. And I'll always, ask the, I'll always ask the couple, like if this person next to you who you love and have googly eyes over, like if they, if they never change anything, would you still marry them? I'm still waiting for someone to say, oh no, they got, I have a whole list, right? But they don't do that. They go, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. And then a year later they come back to me and they say, I need help, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you can't force change. You can pray. You can see God on, on, on people's behalf, but God is the heart changer. Spiritual growth, it happens over time, and the impurities come to the surface, and the Lord takes them away. Some might say, well, how dare you? I don't have impurities. Like, we all do. Like, you, you're, you're human. I'm human. We're imperfect. We need, we're in need of refinement and, and spiritual growth. We all are. And that's part of the spiritual God-led journey that we're on. And so the Messiah was going to separate the wheat from the chaff, meaning he was going to separate the truth from lies. And you can't hide from God, nor can you act all fake outwardly, as if you can trick God. No one is going to mock God by deceiving him. There's no way. He's the only one who truly knows our intentions, our motivations, What's in our hearts? What's in our thoughts? Those hidden compromises that might need to be brought to the surface and taken away. He's the only one that knows those things. You can fake others out for sure for a time, right? But it's ridiculous to act like we can deceive God. He knows our heart, our shortcomings, our faults, our hidden compromises, our failures. And guess what? Here's the good news. He doesn't hold them all against us. He doesn't bring stuff back to our minds from 10 years ago. Like, remember when you did that? You know, you better not, he doesn't threaten that. He still loves us and forgives us when we repent and turn from that filth called sin. So the Messiah, he was about to come on the scene and elaborate about all this, right? So we see the Messiah. And the second point, we see the courage. In verse 19 and 20, 19 and 20, it says, But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, And for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. So we see the courage. This is courageous. So what we see here in these verses is the tangible evidence of John's courage and boldness. Look what it says. Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias. So Herodias was Herod's uncle. Herod seduced Herodias from his half-brother. And in marrying Herodias, Herod married a woman that was his niece and his his sister-in-law. John the baptizer, being bold, clearly brought to the surface that this relationship was sinful. Leviticus forbade a man from having relations with his brother's wife. And so, remember, the Old Testament was not called the Old Testament for believers. Like, in the New Testament, they weren't like, yeah, you know, in the Old Testament. Like, it was the scriptures, right? They were called the scriptures. The word testament actually means covenant, which means cut, meaning cut a deal. And in this case, it was divine deal between God and his children. 
That's a side note, sorry. So anyway, Herod, he, Herod had taken ungodly action, and, and John didn't let the sin go. He could have been like, well, he's a powerful ruler. I'm, I'm going to let him do what he's going to do, whatever. He's in sin, whatever. But John cared enough about him to expose those lies. He cared enough. Like, a friend will tell you and be honest with you when it comes to sin, if you're getting off track. He won't be like, oh, you're getting off, oh, that's okay. He won't say, I'm not going to bring it up. You know, he, will, he or she will let the person know. Hey, you're getting a little off track. Like, let me pray for you. Are you okay? Is everything all right? You know, checking in. See, when John was preaching to the crowd, he was bold. When John called, was called a powerful ruler, he was also bold. And in some contexts, we are comfortable calling out sin. Maybe it's to a crowd. I don't know. But then God gives us an opportunity to preach to one person in a position of power or influence. And many would be intimidated from the idea of even confrontational conversation with someone with, with that much power or status. This would stop a lot of truth talk, but not for John the baptizer. Herod was clearly in the wrong, and John had no issue with calling him out on it. Extremely dangerous, but John wasn't going to hold back a truth. He couldn't, like when it came to being in sin. True boldness comes from above, not from within. You can't conjure it up. Courage isn't the result of striving. Courage is the result of being divinely led by God. So the result of John's boldness was God blessed him, gave him an, uh, the newest model chariot, and gave him a house with a pool and a bonus, right? No, you know what happened? He was shut up in prison for exposing lies, for exposing sin. He was shut up in prison. This is a tangible action of someone who is, who is faced with their sin and who doesn't want to repent. But instead, they suppress the sin. He justifies the sin. He tries not to think about the sin. Those who are in sin want to stay away from the light, lest anything ungodly be called out. John was courageous. He was bold. But here's the result of his boldness. Prison. There were repercu there's repercussions for our sin, right? We reap what we sow. That's a no-brainer. But you know, sometimes there are repercussions for our faith. Sometimes we get in trouble for being bold in our faith. We may lose a job. We may get in trouble. We may lose friends. Family members might start leaving us out of family functions because, hey, those are those crazy Christian people, you know? Like, imagine that. We take God seriously and follow him with our whole heart. The word of God is clear that that's the only way to follow Jesus, right? Half-hearted faith or surface-level faith is useless. I mean, who likes, there might be exceptions, okay, but who likes lukewarm coffee or lukewarm hot chocolate? Like, not many people. In the same way, the Lord doesn't want us to be lukewarm in our faith. He doesn't desire that we give some of our heart to him. Here's a piece of it. No, it's about laying it all on the line. It's about full surrender and total abandonment of our personal agendas. And sometimes we live, our, you know, we live out our faith, and because of our faith, we get in trouble. So be it. The men and women of faith who have boldly stood up for the gospel faced worldly consequences, but they reaped eternal rewards. So Herod was engulfed in immorality and would rather lock up an innocent man telling the truth than forsaking his sin. One Jewish historian named Josephus, he said, Herod feared lest the great influence John had over the people might put it in his power and inclination to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise. So in this way, John was dangerous to those rulers who were in sin. John knew the truth and was accountable to the truth 
And he was all about sharing the truth. See the common theme here? Sharing the message with boldness and courage. That's why you're alive. That's why we exist, period. Just remember, trust God. Have faith that he knows what he's doing. Believe that the Lord is working. Expect him to do what he says he's going to do, which it's miraculous and it's divine. Let worry wash away. Anxiety fall to the ground. Let your whole weight lean upon the Lord. For he's preparing, you know, he's preparing you now for what he has for you in the future. It's like when, when your kids fall asleep and you get home, you get them out of the car seat, and it's not like they're trying to help you, like, like wrapping their legs around you to help you hold them up. They're, they're, whole, they're dead weight, right? And it's like you're carrying their whole weight, taking care of them, taking them from the car to the house to their bed, you know, keeping them, tucking them in, making sure they're, they're safe, right? And that's kind of a picture of us and the Lord. He's like, he's taking care of us, you know? He's, we need to lay, you know, just be dead weight in a sense and be like, Lord, just pick me up and carry me. I can't do any of it without you. Because the, the truth is we can't. Expect him to fulfill his promises and come through. Because he always does. He always does. He always will. God will always come through. It might not be today. It might not be next week or next month. But he's going to come through. What he promised to you, he's going to fulfill in due time. Have patience enough to wait. Do his work in the meantime. Know that that door that closed behind you and that door that's in front of you that's still closed, that will open. You know, take one faith step at a time, if you will. If God gives you the green light, go for it. If it's a red light, wait. If it's yellow, slow down, <laughs> right? I mean, we know the routine, but it's like God always comes through. Expect him to work. Expect him to move. He always will.